what's on the table for today? Oh, oh my! What's on, let me let me tell you what's on the table today. <laughs> uh, listen, uh, every week we are dealing with relevant issues, relevant yeah. topics, and today we're dealing with theological implications in social issues, and we're dealing with the LGBTQ plus community. Yeah. And uh, it is going to be a discussion that it's it's worth having because it's relevant, it's real, and it's I real. think it's going to be it's going to impact us real, as we real. go forward in yeah. our ministry. All right, I, I need I need to say that there are some people who are saying to us, "Well, you better be careful. You you may not have a job after this." God, this is something we need to talk to. And as a youth, someone who loves young people, this is definitely a topic I want to get into. Uh, not because I know everything about it, but because I need to be educated in in being able to minister and lead uh, youth and young adults. They have questions, things like that. So I am just excited about what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, absolutely. So um, keep let's keep going, Pastor Wade. Who? That's what's on the table. Who is at the table today? Who do we have with us today? I am excited. I am ready. Who do we got, Pastor? Well, I, I would say that um, I have a good friend who has joined us. Um, her name is Pastor Latoya Hazel Alcide. She is a, she's at the seminary. She's fi finishing up at the seminary. But just the other day, we celebrated that she was picked up by the Central States Conference to serve as a pastor in the Kansas City area. And so she is coming into the field, but she brings a wealth of information, a wealth of experience, uh, dealing with um, people, dealing with women, dealing with women in ministry. And uh, so we're excited about having her here because she has a unique perspective that she's going to share with us today. Now, don't get don't get worked up. It's not the fact she's not coming out. This is not anything like that. But she's here to share uh, from a perspective we wanted to make sure we had as part of the discussion today. All right. And alongside her, we're just going to go ahead and can I bring him on? Can I bring him on this point? Hey, alongside her today, we have Mr. Michael, Elder Michael Carducci. He is the chairman of Coming Out Ministries. Many of you have probably heard of this ministry in the past. It, it is a ministry that we're going to let you let him tell us just a little bit more about it in a little while. But um, I have known uh, uh, Elder Carducci since he was living in Orlando, Florida. He was uh, a member of my father's church for a period of time when my father was pastoring in Orlando. Um, Mike, it is good to see you again, my friend. And um, we are excited about our discussion today, but we're going to begin it with a word of prayer. And then we're going to invite uh, both of you, our guests, to, to just greet our audience for a brief moment before we hop into the discussion today. Um, uh, Pastor Wade, would you offer a word of prayer for us as we get started? Sure, let's pray. Father, once again, we thank you for the blessings you have given to us to this moment. We thank you for how you've cared us, how we've worshiped together in different diverse places. Now, Lord, as we begin this discussion, we ask your presence to be in the midst, guide us, direct us. And I pray that those who are listening and watching will gain an, an understanding and a blessing to become um, be the hands and feet of Jesus in this world and in the world to come. It's my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 
So, Pastor LaToya, we did not share with everybody all of the mountains that you've climbed, all of the, the valleys that you have, 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 have made it through and all of that. So share with us just a little bit. Uh, we're going to give you what I tell you, and I'm going to give you a little bit more. I'm going to give you 39.7 seconds. Um, go ahead and just greet our audience today. Share with them where are you, what you're doing, um, whatever you want to share. Time is yours. Oh. Thank you so much, pastors and um, uh, Mr. Michael, you know, for, for being on with you. Um, Pastor Wade shared a little bit, but I uh, came up in the church. I'm from the islands, St. Lucia. So I, I saw Trinidad. So I hope there's some St. Lucians on there. Too. <laughs> Can't be by myself. Um, but yeah, grew up in the church and um, then moved up here. And uh, this is where I met Pastor Wade at Northeastern Conference. So I was a, a, one of the youth leaders, served on the Youth Advisory Council uh, for Northeastern Conference and uh, went into ministry years afterwards. I have three amazing young adults, young adults, um, but youth ministry has always been uh, my passion and um, on, on all aspects of it. And eventually uh, moved into uh, serving women also and families. I'm an advocate uh, for youth, uh, for trauma, uh, for abuse, domestic violence and immigration uh, reform. Wow. And mm. yes, he did say um, that I am a pastor. I'm finishing up sem seminary mm -hmm. and just using everything that's in the toolbox that the Lord has given to me through all of my experience, the good, the bad, and the ugly, to try to bring a perspective on uh, the overcoming power of God mm. and, and how we can impact our communities real time, real ways wow. with real, uh, real experiences. So thank you for the invite. Thank you for having me on, and I'm looking forward to the conversation. Oh, awesome. Glad to have you here. That was 45 seconds. Okay, I, we weren't counting. I love, <laughs> I love it. Elder Carducci, the time is yours, man. Talk to us. Thank you. When I hear the name Pastor Paul, I automatically think of your father who baptized me 21 years ago. Oh, and wow. it's a great honor to, uh, to see even you following in his footsteps. Wow. And I know he recently passed away my condolences. But mm -hmm. I, again, those, those words, Pastor Paul, it just rings in my ear of wow. 21 years ago when I gave my heart to the Lord. Coming Out Ministries was started 11 years ago to minister to people like me who were desperate for resources, desperate to be uh, shown the love of Jesus as well as the promises in the Bible for overcoming victory. Uh, we, we desire to have resources that we can offer to people to help navigate this very difficult journey, especially in a world that is promoting LGBT acceptance and the church that basically, I think, has really misrepresented the very character of Jesus Christ to make his power impotent and at the same time uh, to remove or to restrict people from a loving relationship with their Savior. And that's why I'm here. All right. Awesome. Well, we are excited to, to hear from you both today um, as we get into this discussion where we've been doing this series on uh, the, uh, the impact of the uh, theological implications uh, on social issues like this one. And so um, Pastor Wade is going to uh, take us into the waters. <laughs> wow. Listen, we are so excited to be here but we want to start with a, a level playing field. We want to start right off. Um, a lot of us hear the the term uh, lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, 
uh, all these things. And there's an acronym that we have used in our, our, our promotion, LGBTQAI, which is uh, when we researched it, those are the letters normally seen plus the plus. Well, um, Michael, I want to ask you first, uh, especially seeing that this is strongly you, the ministry that you are leading out, is what, give us a definition or even an explanation on the acronym that, that we have used. Sure. Well, it's interesting because that acronym has been around for many more years than, than has recently been promoted. Hmm. However, did you know that it actually started with a man named Alfred Kinsey? Dr. Kinsey was a biologist that was actually funded by the Rockefeller Institute to study human sexuality. So before the 1940s, nobody identified by their sexual attractions. Instead, people had two identities as far as Christians goes, and that would be to either identify as male or female. And that's, you know, coming from Genesis chapter one. So now we have all of these identities that are basically created according to how you are sexually attracted. So LGBT is lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender. And now they've started to add even more acronyms to that, like I for intersex, A for asexual, Q for queer. And at one time, the Q actually represented questioning. Uh, the famous dress designer, Tom Ford, he basically has been saying this for years. He says, if you're straight, try gay sex. If you're gay, try straight sex. And the whole idea is to create a questioning body of people because by experiencing these practices, you can actually uh, become attracted or even create those interests. So there's a few of the acronyms that I don't believe uh, the Christian culture is really affected by, and that would be intersex and asexual. When you're talking about somebody that's asexual, that means that they don't have attractions to any sex. And so I don't think that that's outside of the confines of what Christian uh, sexual behavior is, nor do I think intersex would be inclusive in any Christian contempt because intersex is a uh, birth defect, something that that has happened through hereditary influences. So to take the word intersex and to connect that to the transgender issue is not the same. And then the plus sign at the end of LGBTQAI plus basically leaves the door open for any other group that feels uh, marginalized or what they call non-conforming identities. So again, there's a lot of mix up there and I think that there's some confusions, but I think that we as Christians I think that we owe the LGBTQIA plus community to know what these letters stand for and also be very clear about what our concerns are and how that fits in line with Christian principles. Wow, that's very enlightening. Uh, I do have to say there's one additional letter that was added and it's the S. So it's LG, uh, LG. TBQIA2S plus and the the 2S is uh, two spirit, the number two uh, spirit. Um, so that has been the acronym is longer now. So just to, so that we include the the full um, the full acronym. So 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 uh, break break that one down for us. Uh, what what is who is that? What is what's that mean? What's the? Uh, honestly, I. It's it's really interesting because as as the more of them are being added, this is where we <laughs> go back to the drawing board to learn more mm -hmm. of what they mean. And so um, I'm not going to say that I am you know an ex. I know most of them, but seeing that this is now added, I would have to go back and okay, see got it. That's fair. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. Uh, yes, go ahead. Uh, yeah. I'm sorry. Right. So my understanding, and I recently read this just a couple of days ago, the two-spirit has to do with basically destroying anything that has to do with, with biology, meaning that the identity is in a spirit rather than what your biology is. So it's interesting. Look at the contradiction in just the term transgender, even with the LGBT. Uh, part of that identity, because according to the transgender idea is that basically that I'm not defined by my genitals or by my DNA. I'm basically defined by my attractions and my mind. So even if biologically I might be male, I could be female in the mind or I could be, you know, mm. any other combination. So if you totally destroy the biology or the definition or identity of the biology, then there aren't any gays and there aren't any bisexuals and there aren't any heterosexuals. You just have the two spirit combination, these two spirits that, you know, uh, combine to each other and love each other and without any definition of gender identity at all. So really the transgender or the T in the acronym destroys the L, the G and the B as well. Wow. Uh, quick, a quick, quick question uh, just regarding uh, defining, um, you, know, you know, these uh, this acronym. Um, I know that in understanding this community, the words sexual orientation and gender identity. Can you kind of explain the difference between the two, uh, just so that we can get a feel of of the community? I'm sorry, I'm having a, a bit of a problem. If I don't plug in my computer, I'm going to lose. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right. so, I'm not sure what's going to hang on. One second. Hold on. All right. hey, Pastor, you can answer that for me. Okay. Okay, so sexual orientation... Uh, uh, deals with the way a person feels towards people of a particular um, or more than one gender, both physically and emotionally. Okay. And uh, so gender identity, it describes a person's, um, whether it's internal um, or individual experience of a gender, a person's gender identity may um, be the same or different from their assigned sex at mm. birth. Okay, um, so it can be a person's sense of being a male feels he's a woman, a woman feeling that they're a male, um, or or the the mixture of that. So that's the that's the difference there. So would you repeat the question to make sure that I'm clear? Yeah. So again, uh, and the pastor did a good job by you know explaining it. So just so that we can understand, um, you know, this community. Uh, the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity. What's the difference? What's the, how do we define that term as we try to understand yeah, the community? Distinguish those. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right, right. And, and I do appreciate, Pastor, your your explanation. Very simplistically, for me, when I'm asked that question, is what I'm attracted to is different than who I am. Now, being a transgender until I was 20 years old, my very first thought is that I was a boy, a girl trapped in a boy's body. It was never a same-sex attraction thing until puberty. So even before 13 years old, I struggled with how I saw myself. But then at 13, then I started to have sexual attraction to the same sex. So again, identity and sexuality are two different things. I think that that basically supported what you said, Pastor. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. We, we had a question that comes up and that came up in the chat. Kay Williams is asking, are pansexuals and transsexuals included anywhere in this acronym? I know the trans was with the with the T, but what about the pan? What is pansexual? Um, is it a, a duplication of one of those other terms that's already in there? Is it something different? Um, 
What do we know about pansexuality? I, I do know the pansexuality is considered part of the plus. So it was something okay. that is, is now coming out, and it is something that the plus is uh, supposedly covering. The catch-all. The question plus. is, until, yeah, the, kind of the catch-all. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think uh, Benson Prig asked a very good question. It seems to be that as we as this is growing as the acronym is growing which is the identity of of these different parts of the community um it keeps it keeps adding groups and it seems with the two spirit it seems to be adding groups to kind of fix what wasn't done what wasn't really um accepted based on the other the other letters before uh, do we see this as a a, a, com, uh, a fight in the in the community in terms of I want to be seen um, or I want to be known or I want to be identified per se so we're, we're doing that within the acronym and the acronym is growing to just be part of that inclusion do we see that happening um, at all yes Mike so pansexual is basically people who are so diverse that they're not identified by any of those letters. They could fall in love with a male or a female. They could fall in love with a transgender person. So they're the ones that are kind of, you know, floating over the acronym, and they could identify as any part among that. Um, so with with the plus, of course, it, it is inclusive to that. But did you know that um, that there are over 150 ways that you can identify now? And we have cisgender, agender, transgender, um, all of these different acronyms, non-binary, and the list goes on and on. And so to keep up with all of these terminologies, it would be incredibly difficult. So I think that that's also what the plus is inclusive. All right. And, and then to, to, to Roger, Roger's the, the, that, that question that he posed. Pastor um, Latoya, any, any thoughts on, on that? I, I think it, it still falls underneath the, the word for me is belonging right? Which we all, mm-hmm. we okay. all, yeah, we all yeah, fall under yeah. that umbrella of wanting to be seen, to be heard, to be acknowledged and to belong. And so, um, when I, I say that so that our audience could get a, hopefully a better or a more additional understanding of the drive or the need for the individual, um, identities because it, it's it's like am i falling through the cracks am i being seen and if i'm falling through the cracks i need some way to be identified to be seen by my community or the world so i think it falls under the same umbrella that we all fall under which is yeah. belonging i know this is jumping way ahead but but for 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 those of us who are just as interested in missiology as we are in theology that just opens a huge door for us that thing that is innate and common among us yes mike i saw him so pastor as you were sharing that i i remember my experiences in the adventist and the christian church um before i came back at 40 years old and it was basically i was that person that fell between the cracks there wasn't anyone that was willing to address the things that i was struggling with i did feel like an outcast and while maybe there weren't any overt rejections of uh homosexuality where people would you know, say that they were condemned to die and that there was no hope for them. That was what I was experiencing when I would hear people say, well, at least I'm not like him or, you know, there's no hope for people like that. And I heard that message. And I remember this is interesting. It was one Friday night in a gay bar after I had left the Christian church and I was sitting there, ordered my drink. And there were two or three people at the bar. And the one guy orders his drink and he says to the bartender, hey, happy Sabbath. 
And the guy sitting beside me, he said the same thing. And of course I chimed in. Isn't it interesting that the only place where four of us could celebrate the Sabbath was in a gay bar because we started sharing about wow. how we've been either marginalized or minimized or rejected mm. out of the Mercy. Christian church because mm. of these uh, Christian opinions of what sin was tolerated and which sin wasn't, which I think that the Christian church is responsible for creating many of these uh, voices that we're hearing now demanding that they be acknowledged and to be inclusive. I think that the Christian church has a lot of responsibility in that. However, the principle, the principle, when you look at the fact that the, the prayer, our Father, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, that alone, you know, if each one of us says, says that prayer, and then if people that are, are uh, non-binary or lesbian or gay, transgender, Christian, gossipers or adulterers or porn addicts, if you say that prayer, then guess what? You are automatically in a brotherhood. You are not marginalized. You have not fallen through the cracks. And the Christian church is responsible for not supporting that. We have the answer. There is not one person that is marginalized or has fallen through the cracks. And while that doesn't get rid of the Christian principles and, and the law that God has sustained in the identity of two people, male and female, very plain, we as Christians have done a very poor job of representing the gospel because when we say that prayer and acknowledge Jesus as our savior, we are all together. Mm. We are all mm. unified and there's mm. not one better than another. My Lord. All right. All right. Wow. All right. Well, that's a great segue into our, our next question here. Uh, I'm sorry, Dr. Henry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think there was an, another part of that uh, question about the historical development of of this I, community, I, I thought he I, I thought he did a yeah. very good job in laying well, that out. So I, I didn't think we needed to ask right. that well, well, particular one. So so within the community, um, I was doing some research on um, activists, and they were dealing with the historical development um, regarding this term. And I was really interested in you know the DSM on how the DM uh, changed their stance on this community. So I want to know if you had any thoughts on that, on this historical development and how they changed their thoughts on the uh, definition and characterization of this community. But D Dr. Henry, for, for the rest of us that don't have PhDs behind our names, oh, no. uh, I don't have <laughs> when you say DSM, can, can you help us out? Can you uh, pedestrianize All right, this well, for us? <laughs> okay. Listen, I, <laughs> Well, I'm not, a, I'm, not, I'm not a scholar, but it's a diagnostic statistical manual, all right, of mental health. So it's this mental health book. It's like their Bible, and they use that to, to help people. And so in this historical development, this community is in there. So I wanted to get the thoughts, maybe, Mike, if you could speak towards it, this historical development of this community. Sure. Um, and it's interesting to note that the DSM-3, I worked in a psych unit for 10 years and I didn't have, you know, a degree, but uh, I tell people I got my therapy for free while I was there. But back in the 1980s, according to the DSM-3, homosexuality was still listed as a mental illness. And of course, being a person who came out in 1981, the same year that AIDS came out, and as I was watching my friends die and you know, of this mysterious disease that was taking people out, it, there was a lot of negative uh, kind of attitudes towards people that were homosexual, which I experienced strongly. But the DSM-3 has, has changed because now there's this political movement going to, um, to make acceptable certain behaviors. And so now they've, 
they've taken out uh, that homosexuality is a mental disorder as well as transgenderism. But there's a lot of medical information that, that still shows that the transgender surgeries do not give the people the sex that they desire. It may give you the appearance of being the opposite sex, but it doesn't actually give you, it doesn't change the DNA, the, the mm. chromosomal uh, formula that you have inside your body. No matter what I do to my physical body, I cannot change the fact that my blood tells me that I am born biologically male. Unfortunately, mm. the statistics of suicide is 30% among the transgender population. Wow. And that's people that have experienced the full change as well as people who are transitioning. And 41% of our transgender population will attempt suicide, all because, again, they have determined that the surgeries do not give these people what they're searching for. Wow. And, and I think too, uh, to, to, to oversimplify, because I, I'm, I am, I'm trying to be very mindful of our audience. It's not just all adults and it's not just you know, pastors and theologians and so forth. Um, there are a lot of young people who may be listening and parents who are or are con who are not who are trying to figure out this thing, trying to walk this walk and trying to, to figure out what's happening here. Um, so in in a in attempting to do that, if we can really simplify it to the ABCs so that the normal person, I say normal person, can um, can help identify or help understand a little bit more that would be really helpful too so even with the um the the, uh, the removal of the uh this group from it, I, it it was just basically saying that there's no inherent link between mental health and and homosexuality and so to put it in there is is adding it as a, a mental illness. So it was really a signal to the country that we're not we're not linking it together because of the message that is sending with it being a part of the DSM. But it was also the construct of a political movement to mm -hmm. to make homosexuality or LGBT acceptance and promotion. Um, it's interesting. A, a woman by the name of Charlene Catherine was talking about how she was involved in this political group back in the 80s. And the idea was just, just to get the, the uh, school board superintendent to put like a statement that we would not fire um, a gay teacher or that we would not um, release or dismiss uh, a student who was struggling with homosexuality. And the idea was just to get a little promotion uh, in their policies to be able to push more and more to where we see today that we have this agenda now where Christianity is now the minority and, and the one that's actually being um, silenced, for lack of a better word. But there is a political agenda going on. And I also believe what you're saying is compassionate and kind, but there is a political agenda. And we've seen it, especially in 2015, when Barack Obama again legalized uh, gay marriage in all 50 states. So there is a combination of a political agenda going on as well as I think that some of the science uh, has shown that there are reasons why people struggle with same-sex attraction. And I think that it's apparent, especially as I've been in this ministry for 11 years, that there are so many different reasons for why people are, are feel like they're trapped in the wrong gender or feel attracted to the same sex or both sexes or no sexes. And and unfortunately, mm -hmm. I feel that if we, if we make all of those not issues of concern, then we're not actually offering help to find out where it happened or what caused it or what helped to move you that way to help them also find the healing that they desire, if they desire it. 
And, and you know, Pastor Latoya, I, I want to be especially compassionate to any individual out there that may be struggling with, with same-sex attraction or identity disorders. And we have to be compassionate, and the church is not. And that's what our ministry was started to do, was to be able to reach out mm -hmm. to that community mm -hmm. and to offer them another option. And that option is not behavioral modification. We're not offering them psychological, you know, uh, babble to basically deal with what their issues are. We're talking about a divine intervention. And as a pastor, isn't that our obligation is to connect people to divine power that transforms the life? Now that transformation can be as easy as quitting smoking or, or some of the other behaviors that we talk about, but it has to also be able to be powerful enough to grant us mm. the healing that Jesus mm. provided. And that is not a social construct. That is not a psychological uh, milieu where we're offering these uh, like conversion therapy or reparative therapy. I'm following you. I I think we, we have to have all hands on deck and mm. understanding all the facets of it will help us um, combine forces that this is a, com a social a community issue. And me as a pastor, I don't have all the answers, but I have a community. I have members who need to be educated on just all of what sin has done to our world, to us. And, and, and sometimes, sometimes the political umbrella and, and politics is, is, is service is service also. I mean that's the that's the origin of, mm -hmm. of what politics means is, is civil service. So if we want but but we, we mistake that word politics to demonize it. There is that area where um, we can it can look bad, but at the end of the day we're dealing with people here. We're dealing with lives here, just like me. We're dealing with with, with situations that's causing hurt that's causing people to question God, that's causing people to, to wow. run away from God, that's causing people to look at him through our eyes, whether we show them a, a wrath-filled God or a loving God that's drawing them to him so that they can get reprieve and transformation. And that's what we're all looking for. So- um, Amen, beautiful. Now, I may sound uh, I'm compassionate, but that's my Jesus. Yeah. I always yeah. kind of <laughs> Well, listen, yeah. I, I, I do I do need to say um, in light of what has been what is being shared here, uh, even from my perspective, um, what I watch on television has has diff changed from the 70s to to now in terms of, of, you know, there was a time when you would watch a television show and you wouldn't know anything about stuff that's happening in the background. But now it's blatant out there in terms of uh, folks who um who represent different communities and that are different from my community and all i'm not i'm not dogging it but it just seems to be a situation where i have to now i can't keep my head in the sand is where i want to go seventh day adventists in particular i'm gonna call my people out we love to keep our head in the sand when it comes to some of the social issues and we really don't know how to really deal with them and so I'm hoping as we unpack this today, whether it's a political, it's a social issue, it's something in the DSM, that we we, we see for what it is, um, which is number one, is it is it something that we can we can deal we can put our theological implication to make 
to, to, to deal with that situation and be able to get ourselves ready for the kingdom that Jesus is preparing for us. So there's a comment in the chat, and it's from Benson Prigg, uh, yes. who's talking about how yeah. when their son came out, that the family went through a workbook uh, that was focused on the journey of working and being with him. This book was endorsed by the NAD, and that book is this book, and it's called Guiding Families. And are you familiar with it, Pastor Latoya? I was at the the workshop and training at NAD for that. Okay, all right. So when this booklet came out, I was especially concerned by some of the quotes that were taken out of context, as well as the fact that this is listed as an Adventist edition. It wasn't even written by a Seventh-day Adventist person. And, and so basically there were a team for, of your seminary professors there at Andrews University that went through it and basically put their spin on it. But these, this booklet is basically affirming and promoting LGBT acceptance. That's not a love message because if we're cutting people off from the transforming power of Jesus Christ, that's not loving them, that's leaving them lost. And, and my concern is the fact, did you know that just a couple of years ago that, they, that Andrews University sent out their first master's level uh, pastor who has now come out as openly gay, uh, celibate Seventh-day Adventist pastor. And because of the promotion of this ideology now in our church through the NAD, through this workbook in particular, we now have a lot of confusion in the church and we have a lot of people who aren't getting the power of Jesus Christ mixed with the love that has definitely been missing. You know, a lot of people here are from the Caribbean, which is a very negative, has a very negative slant on the LGBT issue in general, which I've experienced as well, coming from, you know, Pastor Paul, your father's church, as well as the black community that I live in now. And what we need, I believe, is we need to uphold the biblical standard because love is the essence of the law. God is love. And so, yes, we definitely need to be compassionate and the church has not been compassionate in this area, but that doesn't mean that we throw out the truth. And there are other uh, documents now, other workbooks talking about navigating the storms of contemporary sexuality, identity, and love. We also have another uh, workbook, a resource called Line by Line that actually goes through this booklet of guiding families. And it talks about the concerns. And this booklet also has 21 testimonies of people who have come out of LGBT lives, walking towards the power and the truth of Jesus Christ because of the love that they've experienced from him. So Pastor Latoya, while yes, we have to be extremely loving to counter the Christian attitude that we've been unloving and unkind for many decades and many centuries, but that doesn't mean that we throw out the truth of, of God's law by taking things that are out of context because the Adventist church has everything that we need to find not only love and acceptance, but also power to overcome. Let me use, uh, if I could, 2 Timothy 3, verse 5. Well, actually, when you go to Isaiah chapter uh, 7 and verse 1, it talks about that there are seven, I'm see, I think it's Isaiah 4, verse 1, where it talks about seven churches will take hold of one man, and they say, you know, uh, we'll eat our own bread and we'll wear our own apparel, but give us your name to save us from reproach. And so that to me, when you look at that, seven women, that's seven churches. And so these are churches that actually acknowledge Jesus as the bridegroom, but they say, wait, 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 we'll, we'll, we'll eat our own bread. And we know that bread represents the word of God. So we'll change the word of God to suit ourselves and we'll wear our own apparel. So these are people that have refused the wedding garment because they're eating their own word and they've determined what the love of God is. 
they want to be called Christian, but they throw out the truth of God. And in 2 Timothy 3, verse 5, when you look at the context even of that chapter, it's talking about at the end of time, there's going to be a group of people that, that have the appearance of godliness. They have the love of God, but they deny the power. And when I think about that, what is the power that these people are denying? They're denying the power of Jesus to transform their lives. And we are given a very stern warning from these people, we are told to stay away. So while the church needs to learn how to be more loving and more kind, we also need to hold up the standard, the biblical standard, because therein is love exemplified. Because if we don't hold up the standard, if we say that it's okay to, to bring your same-sex relationship to church or that you're okay as you are, then we have denied them access to the saving grace of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. Therefore, we've made the sacrifice of what Jesus did on the cross, we've made it impotent and powerless. And that, I believe, is the problem of what's coming into our church and our denomination today. So, so this introduces, I, I think, a very, very interesting segue into this next question. Um, mm -hmm. And that is, within Seventh-day Adventism, within the Christian church at large, um, this idea about how people feel um, they are perceived, how persons in this community or individuals in this community feel about how the church perceives them, how the church treats them. Um, what have you both or either both seen in, in terms of the views that you think, Mike, when you were in that lifestyle and you were, you were sitting at that bar, you talked to us a little bit about what, how, how you felt. So we've covered it a little bit, but I want to focus that conversation for the next two or three minutes about um, when people in that community come in contact with, and let's, let's be specific with the seventh day Adventist church. What are some of the perceptions? I'm not talking about necessarily the reality, but what are some of the perceptions that you have heard as to how they feel like they are treated, how you feel, uh, or they feel that they are perceived? Let me give you a perfect example. And it absolutely broke my heart. I was sitting in a pastor's conference. I was speaking to the pastors of this conference, and I won't say where. But one of the pastors, after I'd given a whole presentation about how God's compassion compelled me to give my heart to him, and, and I had to make very difficult decisions about giving up my boyfriend, my sexual addiction, my attractions, my history, my memory, to, to embrace a new identity in Christ. And as I was talking about the compassion that's needed in our church, this pastor had the nerve to stand up and tell me that there was a, a brother that came into his church and he was dressed in all these wild colors and it was communion Sabbath. And, and the good people got together and they took that man aside and they said, this service really isn't for you. You wow. should really find another wow. church. And I looked at them with this incredulous look on my face like, are you kidding me? Did you not hear a word I said? And I said, you are responsible for that soul. You're, you rejected this person based on how they looked and you didn't even know whether that they were gay or not. And who needs the blood and the body of Jesus Christ more than, than a gay person that's walking down the street? And that I think is the attitude that really needs to be addressed in the church. And that's why we're not ready. You know, we have to educate mm, the church wow. on how to be loving and kind no matter how you identify because we all identify in sin. And the church has a really poor track record and we have earned that reputation. They did a study in Chicago and they asked these people that were, that were atheists and they said, what comes to your mind when I say the name Jesus Christ? 
And these people, they said, oh, Jesus is loving. Jesus is fair. Jesus is, um, you know, forgiving. He's compassionate. And they asked the very same people. They said, so what comes to your mind when I say Christian? And these people, they said, Christians are unloving, unfair, Ouch. cruel, Ouch. unkind. Ouch. So they know who Jesus is. Mm. But we have such mm. a poor mm. reputation. And mm. I believe that the whole political agenda is using the reputation of Christianity, not the word of God to determine who Christ is. And that's what's under attack. So we have to retrain and educate the church on how to be loving without throwing out the word of God. Because see, if you make an exception for the word of God, you haven't loved these individuals at all. You've cut them off from the life-giving force. Hmm. And, and I believe that that's the message from the enemy because when you cut them off from the power of Christ to redeem them, whether it's smoking or alcohol or porn addiction or gossiping, did you know that gossip is listed in 1 Corinthians chapter six? Yes, homosexuality is there. And I was convicted by that, but I was also convicted by licentiousness, fornication, adultery, you know, murderers. It's all in there. So yeah. we have to get to another level where we realize that all sexual behavior that is outside of what God ordained between one man and one woman in a committed relationship, everything else under there is still redeemable and that it doesn't make you less or more. It's just we're in the same pot together. And the power of God promises to restore it because verse 11 says such were some of you. You used to be that way, but you're not anymore. Not because of what I've done, not because of uh, behavior modification or by denying your flesh, but by the power of the gospel to justify. You've been justified. You've been washed. You've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Those are things that I can't give you. And that's not what Coming Out Ministries is about. We don't make gay people straight, but we talk about the power of Jesus Christ to transform your life and to give you something beyond what you were born with. And we don't argue. When people say that they were born gay, no problem. You know, we were all shaped in iniquity. We were all born into sin. Stand in line, get in the crowd. We're all searching for the same relief. Mm. So it doesn't make mm. you exceptional to be LGBT. It just makes you just like us, mm. a person who's looking mm. for redemption and mm. restoration and for victory over the Mercy. sin. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Pastor, any any thoughts on on uh, how you see people have felt uh, the church has been treating, or they've been treated by the church? I, you know, and I would even change that that some of that language and to say how we have been treating them. Hmm. All right. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Thank, you, we, Thank you, Pastor. Thank you. When we start doing that, then it still is us and them. Yeah. And that is wow. a major, major issue of, of separating. And the minute it's a us and them, then all of a sudden we have superseded ours, our mm. place, mm. our stand, yeah. our judgment onto everybody else. And um, and yes, we are, we are in the same boat. We crucify each other. We uh, tend to, to to not look at each other through the eyes of humanity, and um, so I, I just wanted to clarify one quick thing yes. before I answer that question because I was at that training um, at the at the energy, and I was also I, I spoke about that because I have um, many people, including members of my family, who have identified with with the LGBTQ plus community and and the focus of the training was how we tr we treat each other wow right? how we treat each other yes the book is there and yes the book is a guide but at the end of the day the foundation was 
what does Christ require of us when we treat each other in situations where we may not necessarily agree with whether it's actions or lifestyle. And that is a foundation mm -hmm. of that we always have to remember. We're not always going to agree on things and or lifestyle, but how we treat each other, I believe is what Christ is looking at. Because uh, as I remember with the woman caught in adultery, she, it says she was caught in adultery, but the bullying and the, the method of the religious leaders to her was addressed. That was the, the root of the, the matter there. It was how they were being treated. And so I, I may not be of the popular opinion, but I do believe from personal experience too, that, mm -hmm. that when it comes to the action and how we are treating that person, Christ is careful about that and he's concerned about that. Um, however we believe it is, it is one way to say to somebody, what you are doing does not line up with the principles of a Christian behavior versus coming at them, making them feel that they are no longer even a child of God. Wow. Wow. There, there wow, is a difference. There is a difference with that. And so, yes, both of us are saying love and both of us are saying similar to the same thing. But at the end of the day, when I have, when a young person comes to me and says to me that they're either coming out or struggling, because there, there are a number of levels to that. Someone may be convicted and say, I am gay. Someone may come and say, I am struggling with what I'm feeling. Someone may say, I feel like I'm born with it. So as you know, as a, as a gay person, someone may say because of their trauma, they are leaning over to a safety net. There's so many different variables that's coming in here. And unless we have that wherewithal, unless we have the Holy Spirit guiding, guiding us to be able to help us to, uh, to speak with these people, to speak with our family, I'll call them our, our community right? To come down to the bottom of it and leave their integrity intact, leave their identity as a child of God intact. Even if the word or the result may be a, a hard, a hard person where it's saying, I don't agree with this, or I, you know, I cannot, I cannot support this. It is, are we leaving them intact so that God has some sense of way in, in there with them? Because quite frankly, all of us are laying on the, the fire and brimstone, if we have to be honest, because not one of us, not one of us um, has not been affected by sin. And so how we are treating each other says a lot. And I think that's how Christ is going to look at us, whether it's with the LGBTQ community or the teenage mom or the adulterer mm -hmm. or, or the alcoholic. How are we treating them when we're trying to talk to them about issues? Wow, that's that that's awesome. Listen, yeah, Pastor Latoya, thank you so much for for bringing up the woman caught in adultery. Did you know that somebody gave me a desire of ages, Pastor Paul, at your father's church when I was baptized? And, and again, my mind was so fixated on pornography and sexual addiction. And because I was transgender until I was 20, I didn't relate to the men, but I related to the women. And the first thing I did is I moved, I went to that, that story about the woman caught in adultery because I thought I would find something juicy. And forgive me, because that's just where my mind was at. And as I read that story, in, instead of finding the smut that I was looking for, I found a compassionate savior that didn't condemn her. 
you know, and, and he, he cared for her and he loved her. And that had power for me. I started to see the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. So then as I started to read the other stories of the women, like the woman uh, at the well, who was, you know, married five times and the guy she was living with wasn't even her husband. My eyes started to really open to the compassion of Jesus Christ. And then as the truth hit me, I had to make a very difficult decision as anyone does, whether you're living in an adulterous relationship, whether you're addicted to pornography, alcohol, tobacco, whatever that is, each one of us has to experience the transforming power of Jesus Christ to find to find what's on the other side of what I could never do. And and you said something, Pastor, that I thought was really incomplete and, and I think deceptive in that resource. And when you're talking about the NAD promoting this book, this book has been promoted not just through the NAD, through you know the United States and Canada, but it's also being translated into German and it's being you know moved throughout other countries as well. Did you know that Kinship, the, the gay promoting organization that call themselves Seventh-day Adventists, they love this guy because this guide is so ambiguous and, and without definitive power of grace in there that it basically confirms LGBT lives instead of talks about the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. And when you talked about the story of the woman caught in adultery, did you know that kinship is very happy? To, they, they say this, they say that Jesus himself even spoke hate speech because while Jesus was dealing with the woman caught in adultery, he said, where are your accusers? You know, I don't condemn you but they leave off the last statement that says, now go and sin no more. Kinship calls that hate speech. And did you know that in this resource, it also leaves off that term, go and sin no more. I'm sorry, I, I can't promote something that I believe is half truth. And if we deviate from the word of God and if we leave people away from the, the transforming power of grace, you have not equipped them and you do not love them. You have embraced and, and, and enabled them rather than giving them the tools to find overcoming victory. I'm sorry, that's not love. All right. Well, listen, we, we, I, think it's, I think it's pretty clear at this point that our guests have very differing opinions on, on the book. Um, and, and listen, we are, we are, you are both welcome to that, but we want, you, we want to allow our audience for you to be able to, to decide those things for yourselves. And so we, we invite you to go ahead and to dig and to read and to research and to pray and let the Holy Spirit be your guide. We want to move on from the book because we've got a couple other questions that we want to get to um, before. Before this is over, um, so let's go ahead and I. Who's got that next yeah, question? I think I got the next question. Okay, you Dr. Know, Henry, I, I, I think we ought to do another show, man, with the authors yeah. of the book, and, and yeah, so yeah. we can really because get we can into, spend the time on that. Because <laughs> we can spend some time on that. Right, right. now, our audience so, is only hearing you know snippets of of what's in right, the book, right? Right, exactly. And, uh, so exactly. we may be losing them a little bit there. So exactly, exactly, yeah. and I think it's it's important for us to you know kind of hear both sides of the story and. And get the authors on, man, so they could kind of tell us, you know, what the intention and so forth on the book is and and, and, and then give that information out. But here's, here's the thing. And I think we kind of went into this, uh, Pastor Paul passed away, but our theology uh, is important. You know, we have our community theology, Adventist theology, right? And then we know that each and every one of us, we do have um, an understanding and perspective on how we govern our lives based on our um, communication and, and um, dedication to God, right? So, so when we say our theology, um, it, it has to be a personal thing, right? Uh, so how can our theology, and you guys really answered this a little bit, how can it, uh, how does that inform the way we approach people? 
um, that, uh, and when we say people, we're talking about the, the community, uh, those who characterize with the LGBTQ plus community. How can our theology inform the way we approach them? And, and, and when I say them, again, I'm talking about that community. And then also, uh, are there any theological implications we ought to be mindful of? And I think Pastor Latoya did a great job by kind of, you know, explaining that, you know, going into compassion and so forth. Are there any other things that we need to be mindful of or that uh, people need to be mindful of as we approach others who um, are, you know, may have a different understanding or, you know, a different way of, of living? Well, I think for one, uh, the, the witness we are showing them when we dialogue together is huge. Yes. How we are, how we are, come at each other, how we call each other names and and when we disagree and and the level of the level of intensity that rises in us when we are speaking about the them right it's so easy mm -hmm. we have that we're trying to take out sex in everybody else's eyes and blinding ourselves um by not looking inward first and and i i think we, so, we have to be so careful about that none of us are perfect and none of us have all of the answers there is one person that has the answer and that is jesus yeah. and and so when we start to discuss it's always so easy for us to discuss the thing that we're not affected with it's easy we have we have the strongest of of, of opinions of things that and i'm not talking it to, about anybody in particular but when it is a subject that we're passionate about or that we feel that we have a weight or a, a, a superseding of, we tend to forget that we are still dealing with people and with God's people. And yes. if I find myself in that situation, I, I want to see based on how my church uh, handles certain topics, whether I am safe in their hands if I find myself in that situation. And that is yes. from the witness of how we talk about it, how we dialogue about it. And yes, uh, I, I saw a comment about um, not wanting to be offensive. Is that our goal? Is our goal to offend or is our goal to speak the truth? And the way we speak the truth makes a difference. And also, we cannot be going at people who we don't have relationship with. Okay. Because I can only correct someone who I am in relationship with because they will listen to me. I have to build. There's a foundation that we need to build. And so even in, in, in dialoguing with you men, um, there has to be a repertoire in order for me to be able to say certain, certain things. And that comes through relationship. And if you have not earned my respect, there is no way. There is no way. That's just how we... I, I won't be able to listen to you. Uh, mm. I'm, I'm this from the perspective of working in, uh, in, in one of our high schools and, and being at that place, seeing the fragility of our young people coming from all sorts of backgrounds and being in a position of handling those fragmented souls when they're coming to see yes. if you're safe or not. Are you safe as a representative of the church when I come to give you my brokenness? Whatever it is, mm -hmm. whether it's on drugs or suicidal or struggling or identifying as a homosexual. And I, I had to learn the hard lesson because I have children too. So the way I'm dealing with everybody else's children, I'm setting mm -hmm. an example even for my own. 
Uh, there were a couple of there were a couple of situations where um, a couple of the young people came and and tested to see if I was safe enough to share their coming wow. out. And how I handled them was also a reflection of how they would see Christ, because we are the hands and feet of him. And my response to them may not be popular with everybody else, but it, it, it made sure that I remained connected with them, even in adulthood, that I am still invited to whatever it is that they're going on, their graduations and so forth. And it is because I had to learn what they're bringing to me is, is just as important to them as my opinion of it. And what I reflect back to them will tell me how, how much they are important to me more than what they're going through. Powerful. And it doesn't Powerful. get deeper than that. Yeah. And members of my family too, who came and shared that they are, that they came out, I had to make a decision. Is my relationship with them more important than what they're going through because I will not put them out to the wolves. I will mm -hmm. not put them out to other people who don't have Christ in them and who pull them into more destructive behavior. And, and that is a decision that we have to make. And it may not be popular, but I believe that still gives access to the Holy Spirit to work within their lives um, based on his relationship with them. But there has to be a safe person within the church community where they can come and be vulnerable and share. And when I say without judgment, meaning that they can still walk away saying, I still feel human. And I still feel that I am a member of this community. Yeah. Wow. Listen, Dr. Henry and, and Mike, before we go on, I meant, to, I meant to do this during the break, but I, I, I would be curious to see how many in our audience today have family members who have come out. If you know someone that is in your immediate circle, whether it's a family member or a close friend um, who, who is experimenting or, or involved in this community, this lifestyle, the LGBTQ2, cute, yeah, um, TIA2S plus. Um, if, if you have somebody, would you just type a one if you feel comfortable in sharing? Um, just type a one in the chat. We want to kind of see what percentage of the people in, in our own community have connections, have touch points uh, to mm -hmm. people um, in this community. Because, again, we, I mentioned it earlier. So we're talking about theology, but ultimately missiology, how we reach people is also part of our theology. Right. So I'd be very curious, yes. very curious to see that. OK, I'm sorry, Mike, go ahead. Right. Dr. Henry. Yeah, thank you for that. And and. Pastor Latoya, yeah. we have so much in common. I, I definitely want to emphasize that so much of what you say is so beautiful. I needed to hear that as a person who was still struggling with same-sex attraction and behaviors as I was coming into the church. And there was a family that did that for me, and they didn't even know what they had. There was um, this uh, Colombian family, and they were immigrants, and they had very little money. They lived in this really bad neighborhood, but they were very devout Christians. They were a small couple that had a daughter, and she was about 10 years old. So there was a Puerto Rican friend of mine who was also coming out of the gay life and we were good friends. And then we had this, this big muscle bound black guy that was also our friend. So it was the three of us, the short bald white guy, the black muscle bound guy, and then the skinny Puerto Rican. And the three of us would go to church, you know, and people would I'm sure say, well, here they are again, you know, those three. 
but there was this one couple and they identified with the Puerto Rican guy and they were doing Bible studies. And so my friend Ruben calls me on the phone and goes, hey, Mike, you got to come over. We're having Bible studies at this guy's house. And I go, mm, Bible study on Sunday night? I don't think so. And he said, well, they give us food. And I go, okay, I'm in. So on Sunday night, every Sunday night, we food were at jokes. this Colombian family's house. I know, I know, it's what works, but it, it's exactly what Pastor Latoya was saying, creating relationships. And these people didn't know that they had three homosexuals in their living room every Sunday night, and they loved us. They included us as part of their family. They gave us their food. They, they didn't even realize that they had their daughter with three homosexuals in their living room every Sunday night. And then after a few months, the, the wife asked her husband, she goes, do you think they're gay? And he's like, I don't know. And she said, should we be concerned about our daughter? And he said, it doesn't matter because the blood of Jesus was shed for them just like for us. And she said, I'm so glad you said that because I've really learned to love them. That was just the beginning of a 21 year relationship. That little girl grew up. They lived with me when they when they moved out of their home until they found another home. Uh, I now stay with them whenever I'm back in Tennessee after I've sold my house. Uh, we They grew up, this young girl, she became a nurse. She was uh, dating a boy at Southern University. And she said, if you wanna marry me, you have to ask my father and Mike Carducci for permission. These are the relationships that we have built over the years. That is how I believe the gospel is to go out to create relationships where we don't have a hierarchy of sin, where we don't have to worry about what our children are gonna be subjected to because if we're doing our job right, if we're experiencing the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ to find victory over our setting sins, the things that we were born into, the things that were hereditarily and cultivated tendencies to sin, then guess what? We have an open forum, an open heart to receive other people and to show them the grace and power of Jesus Christ to overcome whatever your issue might be. And I think that that's a great, a great example of how the church has ministered to me. And let me give you an, another one to offset some of what, what I've experienced also in the church. Um, I, I moved to Tennessee and I had a great experience in Orlando, Florida when I was at your father's church. I gave my testimony two weeks before I moved and your father kissed me on the neck. And, and it was this beautiful reception of Caribbean people that loved me even though I came out of homosexuality. But I moved to East Tennessee and they had a very different reception of me. And even though I wasn't living in that life, they were afraid to shake my hand. Uh, I asked for men's ministry and they said, we don't wanna be running around in the woods like a bunch of gay men. And wow. I hated my church and the Lord didn't tell me that I could go anywhere else. He said, stay there and learn the power of forgiveness. So while I sat in the wow. third row from the front for six years in this mm. church, finally, mm. finally, mm. the Lord said, my job was done. It took me six years to find forgiveness for them. But there was a little black church in our community and I was doing Bible studies with some girls and they liked that church better. And the Lord said, no, it's time for you to go. So I went to the head elder of this little church and I said, do you have any room in your church for ex-homosexual, ex-sex addict? And he said, well, have a seat with all the other sinners and can you preach every now and then because we don't have a regular preacher. His attitude towards me was completely different. And you know, I was in the first foot washing, the first communion service, and, and this brother came up to me and I was with uh, um, somebody that was a guest that wasn't a member, so I, they didn't wash my feet. And so this brother comes up and he said, Mike, let me wash your feet. And I was so used to rejection from men, you know, and most men don't want to touch me and they certainly don't want to wash my feet for fear they might get something on them. But this brother was moved by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit said, wash that guy's feet. And he insisted. So I sat down and as he washed my feet, he wasn't afraid. He's humbled himself to me and he was telling me just beautiful things like, 
We love your enthusiasm for Jesus. What a difference you've made in our church. And the church had maybe 20 members. So in this room, there were four men. That's it, just four men. And as my brother started to pray for me, every man in that room was moved by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit said, get up and touch that guy. All four of those men came over to me and they put their hand on my shoulder. And as that brother was praying for me, I realized I was no longer part of the ladies' lunch club. I realized for the first time I was experiencing male love in a real way that was transforming my life and giving me healing and helping me to realize what masculine love was really all about. That's what my church has been able to give me. So these are two different situations of how, you know, we need to be more loving. And, and these examples, I think, are what the church is lacking. But I was able to find some of that in my experiences from the church, which is why I'm, I'm so convicted that people need to be loved. And, and I, I know, Pastor Latoya, that you believe the same way. But the difference is, is I don't believe that we enable behaviors. I think that we show them the power of Jesus Christ to transform those behaviors. No difference in what we've got to go through, whatever our issues are. I think the problem in the in the Christian church is that we've elevated or we've we've um, we've excluded certain sins that that the Bible makes very plain, certain behaviors. And, and when you do that, when you make exclusions for certain behaviors, then you have nothing to confess because if I identify as the term gay Christian, I've now got a pronoun or a prefix to my 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 identity in Christ. And in Christ, I'm a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, be, everything becomes new. Well, well, God didn't wipe away my history or my memory. But what he did is he gave me something beyond that. And, and what that means is that if I can identify as a gay Christian, then shouldn't you be able to identify as a lying Christian or an adulterating Christian or a, a thieving Christian or a murdering Christian or a Sabbath breaking Christian? Because here's my point. If we make exceptions for sin and then we start putting sinful behaviors on our identity in Christ, we're no longer Christians first. We're whatever our identity is first, and then we're a Christian. And I believe that that, again, is, is misrepresenting the power of Jesus Christ to transform all behavior. Yeah, I think I think also what is misrepresenting is is negating the, what the Bible has called us to do is to work out our salvation, work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. And I find that there's not much fear and trembling when we're fixated on everybody else's situation, trying to fix them mm -hmm. versus focusing mm -hmm. on, on the inward. And, and at the end of the day, at the end of the day, we, we keep saying us and them, and we, we have, we have a, a call from the word of God to present our bodies on the altar that the Holy Spirit can do what he needs to do. And we spend a lot of time, a lot of time on everybody else's body, trying to bring them to Christ than bringing ourselves to there. I'm not negating anything. I'm just trying to say we have a major issue because when we, the, 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 the scales become tipped because the more I look at you, the less I look at myself. And the more what's rising up in me that needs to be purged out gets com compounded. And, and, and that's not our call. Our call is to show an example of what the saving power of God can do through us, through us first as the example. And that's, I, I will always stick, stick by that because 
they, when we say them, we will be again surprised to see who's going to end up in heaven, even those we are saying are going to burn in hell right now. So we, we really need to really focus on us as a as a community, as a Christian community, looking within ourselves first and saying, God, look at me. Is there anything in there in me before you send me out there to make sure that I am standing just so that when I'm saying whatever I need to say with them, they can look into my life and say, you know what? I see that reflection in you and I see that transformation in you. What did you do? What must I do to be saved? It has to come from us first. So, Dr. Henry, if I may, your question, man, it is a it is a powerful and deep question. How does our theology inform the way that we approach and, and, and treat our community? And, and I think at, at its core, as I'm watching some of the comments in the chat, as I'm listening to our guest today, I think at its core, we've got to have a discussion about our theology on soteriology. Um, um, salvation. On, on how salvation works. Soteriology yeah. is, is, is salvation and, and what salvation. it is and how it works and saved from what and, and, and sin. And if we talk, bring sin into that conversation, which we have to, if we're talking about salvation, then I'm seeing, I'm seeing some comments that make me feel like people, you know, we, we've got to do some work on defining what sin is and what it is not. And so it is difficult to have this discussion at, at, at length, or, or not at length, in brevity, rather, without being able to tackle some of those core underlying theological predispositions that we come to this conversation with. Um, but I, I am, I am, this has been good stuff. Before, before, before we move uh, along, I mean, this conversation has really um, opened my eyes. I, I, I appreciate uh, Mike's um bringing us back to the coreness of understanding that there is power in the gospel. Yes, I, yes. I hope we don't miss that, Transforming folks. I hope power, we don't miss that. Power. Transforming yeah. power in the gospel. We we preach that. We talk about that. Yeah. But then we, we begin to identify what certain things can be transformed. Huh. And then we start to, because I remember I was blown away when a church <clears throat> that I, I'm not even going to go there, a church that I knew that brought a member up on charges. That's what they did in terms mm -hmm. of the, 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 the business meeting about disfellowshipping a member based on the fact they lied. That was a first wow. for me. That lying became a, an offense to bring the charges against the member. And, and, and sometimes we want to categorize the sin. I'm seeing a lot of, uh, a lot of concepts in the chat that talks about the sin. And uh, there is a, there's a, you know, maybe, we, you know, people are expecting us to say that homosexuality is a sin. Yes, we, we read that in the Bible. We know that. But the reality is this sin has touched our doorstep. How do we deal with it? How do we, how do we, how do we, Bring it, bring it home is what I want to say. Uh, um, how, 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 how can I, 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 I was very much involved in youth ministries. A lot of young people are questioning. Um, they, they, they have been subject to abuse. They have been, all these things are happening. I need some help today. And I know some people in the, in the, in the, in the, in the, in the viewership uh, today are looking for help. 
as to how do we make this thing real. We know what our theological implication says, but how do we make this real in our lives? Pastor Ball is shaking his head, man. Yeah, We're coming I'm, to you, Pastor Latoya. Uh, yeah, I'm coming to you, Pastor Latoya. I'm just not convinced, Raj, that 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 we are all on the same page with that. I, I know that there are Seventh-day Adventists, even among the clergy, who do not agree with what you just said. Um, and and it's and it's like it, it's we are living in a time where it is difficult to have a preconceived basis of thinking or, or saying this is where we are and this is what we categorically across the thing believe. Now we all on this panel might be at a similar place in that, but but it's difficult. I've seen stuff in the chat I categorically disagree with, um, and, and and I think is wrong. Um, but again, and so and so that's the value of continuing to have these discussions where right. people get to be able to sort things out. They hear different right. perspectives and then with prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit, they get to sit down and wrestle and work those things out um, um, between them and the Lord. Yes, go ahead, Pastor. Pastor, Pastor Latoya. Okay. Yeah. All right. And and so nothing nothing to the, the, the team of uh, pastors uh, roundtable. Um but I have a family member of mine, and I was I was thinking and contemplating if I was going to say who the person was, but this conversation has proven once again to me that our church is not safe yet. It is absolutely not safe. It's not wow. safe for anyone to come straight up and say, this is what I'm dealing with without having to sugarcoat it or come with an alias right? Yeah. We're not safe. And, and I agree with the, the comment is that we have, we have weaponized, we have weaponized people's experiences, we have weaponized their trauma, we have even weaponized their ability to come and just speak their truth, whether we agree with it or not. Um, this family mm. member, uh, when I spoke to them uh, last night about being on the show, because I care, I care. This is not just about the Seventh-day Adventist Church is speaking about LGBTQ. Uh, we are family, and I have to care about their hearts, mm -hmm. and I have to care about uh, tomorrow after this show is done or tonight after this show is done, if I could sit across the table from them and have a meal based on what my words said or how it cut. And they, they texted me. Um, they said, you got this. Just think about how you'd like to be received if you were in their position and give that compassion to the subject. Mm. To the subject. And, and wow. they also said to me, when I asked, what is it that you would like um, for me to share? Or what, what point would you like to, 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 to share? After we had a really rough week this week because they thought that I had a specific stance on... Um, a choice that I had made. And they said to me, it is the subjects. I asked, what do you mean by that? And they explained to me, it is not what you say, it's that under message that you're covering what you're saying. People are not stupid. Children are not stupid. Young people are not stupid. Women are not stupid. We're, we're not stupid. We can tell when you're saying something if there's an underlying message, and that underlying message is the message that is being focused on. So we can turn around and say, um, for example, oh, God loves you. But, mm -hmm. but they also know through observation that what you're saying is God has fire and brimstone, 
and he hates you. <laughs> my, my, my. <laughs> wow. When we, when we preach sermons or we give, um, I don't care what it is, whatever we say to people, even to ourselves, when we look at our own sins and, and the way we talk to ourselves, our soul hears the subtext of what we're saying. Whether we're mm -hmm. saying God likes you, God is love, or whether you are condemned and there's no hope for grace for you. We have to mm -hmm. be so careful with that. And many of us don't even know how to talk to ourselves with that compassion. Many of wow. us don't even know how to talk to our own wow. spirits and to let our spirits know that Jesus loves you. He likes you. He may not like what you're doing, but grace, his grace is sufficient. Hand yourself over to him. But we give ourselves these messages of pure condemnation which separate us from the love of God. If we mm -hmm. are struggling do that with our own selves how do you think we're talking to other people when we think we're doing it in the name of christ we we don't switch it we don't turn a switch on and off how we talk to ourselves is how we talk to others and so that was their message please watch your subtext because they can know whether it's coming from a pure place of love and relationship or whether it's coming from a place of pure condemnation. And if we can start from that point, all of this theological talk and all of that, I think if Christ was here today, he would be like, look, at the end of the day, these hmm. are my children. And I will personalize how I speak to each of my child based on my relationship with them. Yeah. It's not for you to put an umbrella over how they should be treated. Let Christ's work be done and be the safe space that they can come to break and to be built back, transformed and molded again. If we can do that and focus on that, I think we can solve a lot of this ostracizing that we do to people mm -hmm. in the name of the word and weaponizing what is supposed to either bring uh, conviction or, or grace or transformation. Wow. Oh, wow. Hey, but... Listen, I, I, words were powerful. And I like what you said. Um, you were saying that a group of people uh, came to you and they were testing you. You know, they gave you a little information to see if they could trust you. And once they realized, I'm gonna take another step, they realized that you were a safe person or a safe place, then they gave you more. And, 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 and I see that in the story of Jesus when he's talking to the woman at the well, right? I see that over and over again, where people will say something to you and they're watching, can they trust you? And if they can trust you, then they'll tell you more. Powerful, powerful statement. I love it, I love it. Well, the, the music is playing, that means something, family. <laughs> Yes, sir. It means. Listen. Every preacher knows when the music starts, <laughs> got to wrap up. <laughs>